Voici la question. Uh, Est-ce que vous êtes prêts? Are you ready? Here's the question. Are you ready to study God's word today? Okay. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 uh, for our entire time today. So you might want to go ahead and find that. I'll remind you uh, later. But uh, this is week three in our series where we have been talking about how the world says when it comes to making decisions that you should just follow your heart. Follow your gut, follow your instincts. Your heart will not lie to you. But the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says that your heart is foolish and easily deceived and that left on its own, your heart will often lead you away from God. And so last week, in the second week of the series, we talked about how to turn away from the foolishness of our hearts and towards the wisdom of God. And I shared some stuff last week that has been absolutely foundational for my life, and I hope you found that valuable as well. Today, we're going to talk about how to have a healthy heart. Because Jesus wants for you to have a healthy heart. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that a wonderful promise from Jesus? And yet, to be brutally honest, there are times that I do not feel this way. <laughs> Sometimes my heart feels weary and heavy burdened. In fact, Hannah Whittall Smith talks about one time she said someone was challenging her as a Christian and, and said to her, you Christians seem to have a religion that makes you miserable. You are like a man with a headache. He does not want to get rid of his head, but it hurts him to keep it. And I wonder, have you ever felt that way? Like religion sometimes kind of seems like more of a burden than a blessing? If so, today we're going to talk about why that is. And today we're going to talk about three things that, that often happen in the life of a Christian before we get to Revelation 2. Here's what happens with some Christians. Number one, you begin as a seeker hungering for spiritual answers. So this is back before you knew Jesus. And it's different for different people. Maybe there was a time when you realized that you were, are a sinner in need of a savior and it began you exploring different faith options which eventually led you to Christianity. For others, it was a time of crisis in your life. Maybe you were going through a really hard time and you began to search for answers. Maybe for you it was more philosophical. Maybe you began studying science and philosophy and you realized that there, there must be a designer, creator of the universe. And that began you searching for God. Look at Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 and 2. Let's read this together. This describes that experience all together, out loud, loud together. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2 says... As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. 
And so that is where it starts for many of us, where there comes a time when you realize that there is a hunger and a thirst that only God can satisfy. And so at some point, number two, you become a believer and surrender to Jesus. And this is so wonderful. I mean, this is where you start to experience life change and, and you start being freed from burdens and freed from addiction and freed from bondage. And, and all of a sudden, man, I mean, it's like you think church is the best thing ever. Like, who kept this secret from me for my whole life? I can't believe it. Like, every week you can't wait for Sunday because you get to go to church. And, and through all of the singing, like, you're just crying and, and you want to dance in the aisles and you look around and people are standing with their hands in their pocket and you're like, what's going on with you? Don't you know how wonderful this is? And you don't care what the music is. You, you don't care if it's Southern gospel, rock and roll, rap, hip hop, or Polish polka. As long as it's about Jesus, you love it all. And it's like every Bible teaching hits you between the eyes. Every pastor, every Sunday, is just amazing. You go to small group, you read the Bible, and you say, where has this book been all of my life? It's like John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38, where Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within. And that's what it feels like. Like there are these streams of living water that are flowing in your heart. But then if you are like many Christians, there is a third season that comes and it's when your joy fades and following Christ feels like an obligation. You're trying to do all this stuff in the Bible. You are serving God and you're serving in the church with your time, talents, and money, and there are all these things you know you're supposed to do. You, you, you know that you're supposed to you know, help those less fortunate and share the good news and tell others about Jesus, and the list goes on and on, and, and the Bible starts to feel like this impossible standard, and you're discouraged, and your heart starts to grow cold, and the streams of living water start to dry up. It's different now. You used to be excited to go to church, and now you look for excuses not to go. You used to love being part of a small group, and now it's easier to stay home and watch TV. You used to serve in ministry projects and, and, and serve in the nursery and, and maybe you're still doing some of those ministry things, but you're tired and the truth is your joy is gone. And some of you are saying, uh, Joel, how did you know? <laughs> like, have you been reading my mail? <laughs> I know because I have been there. I know because you are not alone. And what breaks my heart is that many times this is the point when some people start to drift away from church, drift away from their relationship with Jesus. And it breaks my heart because I've seen it happen so many times again and again and again with people who used to follow Jesus. But now they've drifted away. 
And I'm here to tell you something today. God wants to do something beautiful in your heart. God wants to bring a season of refreshing. And so if you would open your Bible to Revelation chapter 2, and what we're going to see here today is how Jesus talks about this very subject, spiritual burnout. And and Jesus says, I know what the problem is. And then Jesus says, I am also going to tell you how to fix it. All right here in a few verses. And so let's begin reading in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. This is Jesus speaking to uh, to the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And so Jesus says, I see all the good things that you've been doing. Jesus says, I know that you're smart. I know that you're faithful. I know that you're hardworking. I know that you've been doing all these wonderful things, but there's a problem. And Jesus is about to identify the problem in verse four. Yet I hold this against you, You have forsaken the love you had at first. And I've read this more often in my life in some of the older translations where it says you have forsaken your first love. Your first love. And let me summarize what I think that Jesus is saying here in Revelation 2. If I were to just put it in one little sentence, I think Jesus is saying there is a danger in doing good stuff but loving the wrong way. This was written to the church in Ephesus, and Jesus says to them, look, it's not that you got wrapped up in some big sin, it's not that you're doing a whole long list of bad things, but rather that you are loving the wrong way. In other words, Jesus says the the, the problem is a heart issue, that something has grown cold inside. And now look at the good news. Now Jesus says in verse four and five, how to fix it. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first or your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. So Jesus says, first do some evaluation about the trajectory of your life and what has happened. And then catch this. Jesus says, here's the solution. Repent and do the things you did at first. And so repent means that there is a change that needs to take place. That's what repent means. That what you're doing now, there's a change and something different needs to happen. And Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Jesus says, I want you to think back to the times in the past when your love for God was fresh and new. And I want you to think about that. And what's changed? What did you do back then that you are not doing now? You know what? The same is true with marriage. If you're married here today and your love has grown cold, you don't have the same feelings now that you did back when you were dating or back when, you know, when your relationship was fresh and new. Stop and think back 
to the ways that things used to be, the things you used to do back when your love was all fresh and hot and on fire and, and like, like your heart was all ushy, squishy, gushy inside. and You got the quiver in your liver and the wiggle in your knees and you just couldn't stand up straight whenever they came walking in the room. Think about that. Some of you can't even remember that far back. I almost started dancing there, watch out. <laughs> Tracy's not here right now, she's in the States. I can do what I want. <laughs> Hi, honey. <laughs> she's watching online. Hi, honey. Because here's what I can almost guarantee, 99.9% that you don't do the same things now that you did back then. And the same is true in your relationship with God. Jesus says, repent and think back to the things that you were doing back when your love for God was fresh and alive and vibrant and do the things you did at first. Now, how do we do that? If it feels like your love has grown cold today, I wanna make two suggestions. And the first one is, Number one, choose to make God your first love. That's what he's saying here. Choose to make God your first love. Let me tell you about the first time that I told my wife, Tracy, that I love her. And the police were involved, believe it or not. <laughs> it's going to be good. We were dating, we had been dating for a while, and I decided to do the absolute most romantic thing that you could do for a girl in 1994. Do you know the absolute most romantic thing you could do, the ultimate romantic gesture in 1994 was to make for her a mixtape. <laughs> Anybody ever made a mixtape? Let me see hands around here, mixtape folks. Yes, talking about my generation, the mixtape, where, uh, now let me translate this into language for, uh, for younger people. A mixtape was like a Spotify playlist on a cassette. Okay, so, so what you did is you, you either recorded it off the radio, that's when you know you're really old, when it was before CDs and you had to record things on a tape recorder from the radio. But, but at this point in 1994, we had a new thing called a CD player. And, uh, and with that CD player, you take all your favorite songs and you put it onto one tape. And if you, you know, the, most tapes you could put, you know, maybe about five or six or seven songs on one side, and then you had to take the tape out, do what? Turn it over and then put it in the backside way and you could play another five or six or seven songs. And so what a guy would do for a girl a lot of times is make a mixtape with all kinds of love songs to tell her how he feels because he doesn't know how to say it with his own lips because guys aren't too bright sometimes. Okay, and so, so I made for her a mixtape and the most important song on this tape was a song by the Beatles. And the song goes like this. You're going to have to help me out. It was, it was about a secret. The song says, listen, do you want to know a secret? Ooh, ah, ooh. Oh, yeah, this is, this is when music was good, right? Everybody go, ooh, ah, ooh. Oh, you sound good. 
let me whisper in your ear, ooh, ah, ooh. And then it gets to the secret, and the big line at the end of the chorus is, I'm in love with you. That's the secret. I know, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and so I wanted it to be special. This was a big moment in our relationship. I had waited to tell her. And so I, I, I picked her up from the college dorm in my 1987 hot rod Firebird. Any Trans Am fans in the house? And so I picked her up in my two-tone hot rod Firebird with my thick blonde hair. I always have to mention that just because some of you don't believe I ever had any. And she gets into my hot rod Firebird and we go for a drive in the country as the sun is going down and it's almost dark and we find a nice dark place to park the car. Teenagers, you are not listening to this. I promise we did not do anything inappropriate. And so uh, I said, I, honey, I have a song that I want to play for you. And so I pulled out the cassette tape, my mixtape, and I popped it into my Alpine stereo cassette player. <laughs> I wasn't rich enough for subwoofers. I just had the eight by tens. And the Beatles started to sing. Listen, do you wanna know a secret? Ooh, ah, ooh. Let me whisper in your ear, ooh, ah, ooh. And then comes the big line in the song. The secret is, I'm in love with you. And I took hold of her hand and I looked in her eye and I said, Tracy, I love you. And at that moment, there was a blinding flash of light and the sound of a siren. And I thought, it's a sign from God. But no, it was a sign from the Grant County Police Department. And the police officer walks up with a flashlight and shines the light on our eyes and says, license and registration. And he goes and he runs my plates and comes back to the car and says, all right, kids, get out of here. No parking in the country. Listen, no parking in the country at night. That was a romantic moment because listen, here's, here is what I was saying. Listen, love is a choice. Love is not just a feeling. That is one of the lies in our world that love is a feeling. No, 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 no. Love is a decision. And what I was saying to her was I am taking a big step here and telling you that I have decided to make you the priority in my life, Tracy, over and above every other person. And the same is true with God. A.W. Tozer says, to love God with all of our heart, we must first of all will to do so. That means to make a choice, to make a decision, to make it your priority. We should repent of our lack of love to confess that and determine from this moment on to make God the object of our devotion, the sole need but will 
to love. And the miracle begins to blossom. We shall experience a wonderful change in our whole inward life. We shall soon find to our great delight that our feelings are becoming less erratic and moving in the direction of the willed tendency of the heart. Our emotions will become disciplined and directed. We shall begin to taste the sweetness of the love of Christ. Our religious affection will begin to mount evenly on steady wings instead of flitting about wildly without purpose or intelligent direction. But first of all, we must will, for the will is the master of the heart. In other words, you can choose what to do with your heart. You can tell your heart what to do. That's what we've been talking about in this series. This is so powerful and so dense and so long, I want to read it one more time for you so that we can get it. A.W. Tozer says, to love God with all of our heart, we must first of all will to do so. We have to make a choice. We should repent of our lack of love. That's what some of us need to do today. And determine from this moment on to make God the object of our devotion. The soul need but will to love and the miracle begins to blossom. We shall experience a wonderful change in our whole inward life. We shall soon find to our great delight that our feelings are becoming less erratic and moving in the direction of the willed tendency of the heart. Our emotions will become disciplined and directed. We shall begin to taste the sweetness of the love of Christ. Our religious affection will begin to mount evenly on steady wings instead of fiddling about or flittering about without purpose or intelligent direction. But first of all, we must will, we must choose, we must prioritize because the will is the master of the heart. It is a choice. That's why Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 in the Bible says, set your heart on things above. In fact, let's make that personal. Let's say it in the first tense. Everybody repeat after me. Say, I will choose to set my heart on things above. It's a choice to say, God, I will make you the first priority in my life. I will worship you even when I don't feel like it. Because I'm going to make you my first love. And so number two, here's the second suggestion. Pray constantly for your heart. Pray for your heart. This morning we sang a beautiful song that is actually a prayer for your heart. Troy started out and sang it in French and then we sang in English. Could you sing with me again? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. 
I want to see you. I want to see you. Could you sing that one more time? Lift your voices, all the harmony together. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. One time, uh, I had someone come up to me after a service and ask about this song. And they said, that's a weird saying. Open the eyes of your heart. And they kind of described what it would be like to have eyeballs on your heart. And they, and they said, is that even biblical? Like, that just seems like one of those poetic things that some songwriter named Paul Balash, actually, uh, a friend of ours here at the church who's been here a number of times before, is the one who wrote that song, uh, that he just, like, made it up or something. But let me tell you, the fact is, that song is very biblical, The Bible says all the time that you need to talk to your heart. You need to tell it what to do. You need to pray for your heart. In Psalm 86, 11, it says, Lord, give me an undivided heart. What that says is that normally my heart is divided. Left on its own, my heart will be divided between wanting the things of God and wanting the things of this world. How many of you relate to that? We want both. But we need to pray, Lord, give me an undivided heart, solely focused on you. Psalm 141.4, let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. What does that say? It says that naturally our heart is drawn to what is evil. But to pray for its protection. May he turn our hearts to him. 1 Kings 8.58. Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. And then I love this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Those of you who have small group this week, you're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 1 more deeply. A number of verses here because this is written to the same church, the church in Ephesus that Jesus was talking to in Revelation. And Paul says to those very same Christians in Ephesus, in Ephesians 1, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The Bible says to pray for your heart. And so here's what I have learned. If God is going to be my first priority, then time with God, or if if God is going to be my first love, then time with God is going to have to be my first priority. We live in a world that keeps beating us down. Yes, isn't that true? That we live in a world where everybody distrusts everybody else. Everybody's blaming everybody else for all the problems. Uh, just watch the news, watch the, uh, the, you know, social media. Everybody's angry at everybody else, it seems like. And can I just tell you, as a pastor who cons- is concerned about people's hearts and concerned about how we can bring light and hope into our communities in Canada, that it makes me weary sometimes. As Matthew 11 said, that sometimes I get weary and heavy burdened 
And so I know now more than ever before, if God is going to be my first love, then time with God is going to have to be my first priority. And so I have made the intentional commitment to, to carve out more time in my schedule to be with God. Time when I'm not on my phone, not on, on you know, listening to podcasts, not studying, not uh, reading other things or on the news, not even doing good things like ministry and sharing with people and helping people. But specific time in my schedule carved out to spend with God. And for you, maybe the best time is before everyone else gets up in the morning and to set your alarm maybe 15 or 30 minutes earlier every day. Maybe it's after everyone else goes to bed and finally the house is quiet. Maybe it's on your drive to work and back home after work each day where you can turn off the radio, turn off the distractions, and pray while you're driving with your eyes open, by the way. <laughs> or maybe to listen to the Bible on your commute. Maybe it's during the middle of your day when you get a coffee break to go for a walk and pray or to go and uh, maybe in the winter you need to turn on the car and turn up the heat <laughs> as you spend time with God. But I have a sign, an assignment for you today. I've been thinking about it this week and here's, here's what I want to ask if you would do. I want to ask if you would be willing to carve out of your schedule one hour this week to reconnect with your first love. To make God your first love by making him your first priority. And I know an hour, you're like, Joel, that, that doesn't seem like a whole lot if God's going to be my first priority. But let's be really honest. For you to spend one hour with God, that would be a huge step for most people. A huge step forward. And so I, I have a suggestion. You think, how can I fill an hour? I'm glad you asked. I have a recommendation. Here's what I'm going to suggest that you do. Get your phone or a computer, wherever you have an internet connection, and get a Bible, okay? A phone or your computer with the internet and a Bible. And here's what I'm going to recommend. That you open up YouTube and on YouTube, I have two suggestions. I mentioned our friend Paul Balash who opened, uh, wrote the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Uh, and what's great about Paul Balash's worship music is most of it he records in French also. You can find it in both French and English. Uh, Ouvre les yeux de mon cœur. And so search, Paul Balash, Open the Eyes of My Heart. And the very first video, at least I tried it multiple times this week, the very first one that comes up is about nine minutes long, and it has the lyrics right underneath it. And then look up, Great Are You, Lord, and if you just put in Great Are You, Lord, the very first one that comes up, at least for me, is about four or five minutes long, and uh, the lyrics are underneath. You have to click a little drop-down menu, and you can find the lyrics right there. If that doesn't work for you, you can look up the lyrics on the internet too. It's not rocket science. You can figure this out. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is where it starts to get weird. You might not want to do this in public. 
sing out loud. You're like, oh, Joel, that's asking for, that's like, that's strange. I'm telling you, there is power in being out loud. That's one of the powerful things to do in your Bible reading, in your Bible study time as well. Read it out loud. Sing out loud to God these two songs. That'll take you about 15 minutes. I, I, I think it would be awesome if all of a sudden people downtown were walking through parking lots at Blue Cross and, and all these places, and they see all these Moncton Wesleyan people with their windows rolled up singing to Jesus. They're like, what is going on around here? Wouldn't that be cool? And then that'll take you about 15 minutes. Then open your Bible and pray through Psalm 30 and Matthew 6. Now, when I say pray through it, I don't mean read through it. I mean pray through it. There is a difference in reading through Scripture. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. I'm done. That's not what we're talking about. Pray through the Scripture. Which means meditate on the words. Ask God, Lord, what does this mean? How does this apply? What do you want to say to me? Use it to have a conversation with God. Psalm 30, and then Matthew chapter 6, which that one's pretty long. I can guarantee if you spend some time with these, those two songs and those two chapters of Scripture will at least fill your hour. And maybe you're not a Christian here today, and you say, well, I, I'm not even sure I believe in God. I would encourage you to consider doing it as well and ask, Lord, would you open the eyes of my heart to see you? And I believe that if you ask God, he will probably reveal himself to you. Let's stand. I see it on so many faces. I, I, when I talked about people being discouraged and how this world can beat us up and, and, and I bet I'm not the only one who feels that way sometimes. And one of the most important things you can do is to make a commitment to reconnect with your first love. The one who paid it all for you. And so to just prime our hearts and get ready, could we sing, or I'm sorry, read together Psalm 30. You can sing it if you like. It'd be interesting to hear. And so we're going to just go ahead and put it fully out on the screen so that everybody can see it all around the room. And online, we're going to fill up the screen with it so you can read this. And let's read it out loud together as a prayer from our hearts. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, 
but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Oh Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I have called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever.